This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com. Bobby Orr, behind the net to Sanderson. Orr! Bobby Orr! Orr! For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like it is sure. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Prue. Yeah, he's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Great Scott. Lace him up for some bees talk right now. I'm going to get a off! It's the Skate Pod on WEEI. Welcome into episode 151 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Scott McLaughlin, Lil Bridget. This episode, uh, Scott, the Bruins suffered their first loss in regulation on home ice to the Seattle Kraken 3-0, but they bounced right back like they've done all year. They don't lose to consecutive games, and Saturday night at the Garden, they they beat the Leafs 4-3 in a, a very competitive, very intense hockey game. Yeah, just an awesome game, uh, you know, it's a little cliche to say like playoff atmosphere, playoff feel after a game like that, but but it was. I mean, right from the start, you could tell like the crowd knew this was a big game. They were loud early, um, and then just a great game back and forth. You know, Bruins had a huge shot advantage in the first, but I didn't think um, I didn't think they really controlled play. Like I feel like it was evenly played. They just happened to get land more shots on goal. Um, Bruins fall behind twice, even it up both times. Then they take a 3-2 lead. Toronto ties it. Bruins get the late winner from Matt Grizzlick. Uh, you know, just a, two really good teams, clearly. We, we know the Bruins are best team in the NHL. The record says that. Every other statistic says that. Just the way they play says that. But, you know, we've talked about it before. And, you know, I know, like, when you bring this up, maybe to – people who don't follow every team around the league, they, they kind of scoff at it, but I've felt for a little while and, and Saturday night confirmed it for me that right now, I think the Leafs are the Bruins biggest competition in, in the Eastern conference. Um, just a really complete team. And, you know, they certainly were right there with the Bruins. We know that they beat them earlier this season in Toronto two to one. Um, of course, you know, Unfortunately for the Bruins, they had some other things on their mind that night. Uh, it came one day after the controversial Mitchell Mitchell Miller signing. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, you saw some of the Leafs high in talent. They've been a better defensive team this year. I think for the Bruins, super encouraging to be able to break through and score four goals against that team. Matt Murray did make some really good saves in net, but, you know, Bruins found a way, keep, kept plugging away. Um so, yeah, just a great game and a great win for the Bruins. 
Yeah, and obviously to start the game about three minutes in, Nick Felino drops the gloves with Wayne Simmons and uh, just two guys who kind of get it. I think two guys who really respect each other and they just kind of they understood both teams, you know, what this meant to them and it was a good measuring stick game. Obviously for the Bruins, you've been running away with the league this year, right? So it's tough to say anybody's a measuring stick game, but that's or a measuring tape game, but that's absolutely what, what this game was for the Bruins. I mean, like you said, Toronto's right behind them because of COVID and other circumstances. You haven't seen them a whole lot in the last handful of, or not handful of seasons, but the last couple of seasons. Um, you know, you know, it's crazy. It's, and like, I didn't notice this until yesterday. The Bruins haven't beat the Leafs since before the COVID shutdown. Right. You know, part of that is just how infrequently they've played. It was only the fifth time they've played since then, but still. Yeah, exactly. And if you ask Leafs fans, that's been a feather in their cap for a couple of seasons. Like they, you, you know, if you read fans talking to fans online or whatever, or uh, even even certain analysts up up in up in Toronto, you know, the feather in the cap is yeah, Boston's really good, but we got that one regulation win against them this year, and they haven't beaten us in four. We've beaten them four consecutive times. It's like, take it easy, guys. <laughs> relax, relax. Um, but I think, I think this game was a bit of a microcosm of why the Bruins might just be that, that notch ahead of Toronto and everybody else. Right. Cause if you look at Toronto's goal scores in this game, you're talking Michael Bunting and we'll get to him in a second, but Michael Bunting Matthews and um, was it Engvall, I think for, for the Leafs now Engvall's he, he's a middle six player. So, I mean, I guess that kind of hurts what I'm about to say, but you look at the Bruins goal scores and yeah, Bergeron scores and Pasternak scores. But then your game, well, eventual game-winning goal is Matt Grizzlick, and at the time, I think it was the eventual go-ahead goal was was AJ Greer. And I guess my point is that that yes, the Bruins' top guys scored, but their depth guys also came to score. And I think that's ultimately what's making this Bruins team just that much better than everybody else this year, along with you know other things like goaltending and whatnot. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, just looking at like what the fourth lines did, you know, Leafs got. Very little from their fourth line. Um, there were long stretches of the game that their fourth line wasn't even out there. And the Bruins get a goal from Greer, as you mentioned. The fight from Felino, um, And just good play from that line. I think uh, shot attempts when they were on the ice were 6-1 to one in the Bruins' favor. And they just brought energy all game. Uh, you know, Nosek on the Greer goal. Nosek makes a great play on the rush. Kind of shake two defenders that he actually gets to collide into each other, which opens up space. Uh, and then Felino with the pass over to Greer, like that, that is what the Bruins fourth line was doing earlier this season and has done, I would say relatively consistently, but maybe some quieter stretches um, at times, but they were great Saturday night and, you know, goal energy fight, like, all of it, Greer chirping Simmons at the end of the second period, going back and forth, like, um, just like that's what you want to see it from from everyone on your team, but especially from a fourth line is that kind of rising to the occasion in in a game like this, and they did. So like, just right there is you know a big difference, and yeah, you know the Leafs third line, which was I think Kerfoot, Cam Fangval, um. They get the goal from Engvall. In general, I'd say that that's a line that hasn't been as productive as the Bruins' third line this season. Um, Coyle, Frederick, and whoever you put with them. And I thought the way what the Bruins did with their third line Saturday night was 
pretty impressive because Montgomery really used that and and Saturday night it was Zaka with them. Um Taylor Hall got bumped up to the second line with Krejci. But Montgomery used them as like his checking line and had them matched up against the Matthews line a lot. And, you know, while they got pinned in the zone at times and, you know, had to do quite a bit of defending, they didn't give up a goal. They they weren't out there when Matthews scored his goal. Um so I thought they did a pretty good job with that matchup. You know, yeah, conceded some zone time, but kind of kept them to the outside and didn't give up a, a ton of great looks. Yeah, it, it's it's an it's an embarrassment of riches for the Bruins. And, and obviously last night it was, you know, it was Greer, it was Grizzlick, it was Pasternak and Bergeron. But, okay, so what? So then it's like the next game, and maybe they, maybe those guys don't score. But okay, you still have Bert, uh, you know Marshan and 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 Hall and Coyle and other guys that can fill the back of the net, Krejci. Um, so it's just it, it's it's impressive what the Bruins were able to do because of their depth. And last night was no different. Uh, I want to ask you about uh, a player on Toronto in particular. But if you're if you're Toronto fans, what's your what's your takeaway from this game? Because you know, the Bruins have been, I don't know if big brother is the right term because, I mean, Toronto's been very good. And it's been its been a few years since they faced off in the playoffs. But um, Boston's definitely been uh, their kryptonite, right? And, well, I guess I guess any playoff caliber team has been in the first round. But, uh, <laughs> I was going to say Tam- Tampa as well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, anybody they've played since 04. But all joking aside, like, if you're, if you're, if you're a fan of the, of the Leafs and you're looking at this Toronto team, how they've played Boston twice this year. Granted, that first game was a little strange. We talked about that. You mentioned that. But does Toronto's makeup seem a little bit different to you than it has in past years? Now, the, these two teams, the way it's shaping up now, they want to meet in the first round anyway. And depending on how things fall, um, you know, they, they want to meet till later. But somebody like Michael Bunting, for example, Bruins fans might not be too familiar with them because they've only played them, I think, once or twice or four, maybe three times. But He's a he's a bit of a rat, and over the course of a seven game series, you haven't played a Toronto team because Kadri always got suspended. Who who kind of had that rat for seven games, and I feel like Michael Bunting is that kind of guy. Now his skill level is not even close to that of like a Martian, but just it, it, is the tone of their team different than it has been in years past? If you're a Leafs fan, could you take that from this game? And do you feel like this Leafs team has has better fortunes ahead for for them this year in the first round, Scott? I think they definitely could. Now, they can be better than years past and still lose to Tampa in the first round if Tampa, you know, I mean, Tampa's having a good season and I feel like they haven't even like fully gotten together yet. So that can still be a scary team for both Toronto and Boston. Um, But yeah, I do think this Leafs team is a little different. I think um, they're definitely better defensively. You know, I think when you look at additions, you know, veterans like Giordano and Brody in recent years, and Brody didn't even play Saturday night. Um, the, the development of young guys like Lilligren and Rasmus Sandin, like it, it's a bigger, more mobile, better defensive core than what they've had. Um, certainly, if you go back like three or four years, but even in the last year or two, like Lilligren and Sandin, especially those guys developing into, you know, legitimate NHL defensemen who can handle 18 to 20 minutes a game uh, has been huge for them. Um, to your other point, I, I think 
they're not overly physical in terms of like you know they're not running around throwing a bunch of huge hits, but I think they can play a grittier style than they have in the past, where it was a lot more kind of wide open and just trying to generate off the rush. Like now, I feel like they can do it in in different ways. You know, they they can cycle, they can score gritty goals, probably more than they than they have in the past. Um, so yeah, I think if if I were a Toronto fan, I, I'd probably be cautiously optimistic. Uh, I know actual Toronto fans are just crazy though, so it's really hard for me to get into that headspace um, and try to figure out what they're thinking. I know uh, right now they're probably. Uh, all bitching about Lena Selmark throwing a stick, even though Bergeron actually knocked it out of Allmark's hand and the stick went flying in in a direction that wouldn't even have made sense if he was trying to stop the shot. Uh, he would have thrown it towards the player taking the shot, not into the corner of the rink. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, uh, they'll, they'll always find something to talk about. <laughs> um, but I mean, if it, I, you know, if I'm them, I'm... I'm actually kind of encouraged from that game. I think like I think last night was one of those rare games where both teams only one team got the two points, but both teams kinda you know won, I feel like because I think if you're Toronto, you're kind of like, well, we fought with them, we scored with them, and clearly a big game for the for the Bruins. Like they they want to play Toronto. They, they like how they played against Seattle. And it took a, you know, more or less a last minute goal from an unsuspecting player to to beat Toronto. So if you're the Leafs, you're kind of like, well, we can play with these guys and, and whatever, you know, it took a, it took a late goal. But if you're the Bruins, um, obviously you get the two points. You, as I said, you avoid uh, any sort of slump. Um, they haven't lost back to back all year, as stated earlier. Uh, and, and look, look at like, Toronto's a team they haven't seen a ton of. So um, they are a different team on the back end. Like you mentioned, like they don't have, you know, like, like Ron Hainsey and Roman Polak, like those guys aren't back there after after Morgan Riley. Like, um, you know, Dermott's a young guy they shipped out of there a few years ago to Vancouver. So they've definitely re- – and I'm talking like players since the last time Bruins fans would have really seen Toronto. So they're a bit of a different team. Um, but I do think more or less, aside from the last time you played them this year, I don't think you're going to see much of them until potentially the second round or later. So they're kind of, I feel like, in the rearview mirror at this point because I don't think they're catching Boston in the standings. No, it's – Saturday night puts the Bruins up 11 points on them and Bruins still have two games in hand. So yeah, it's, I don't know if I mentioned this on the podcast or just in a conversation I was having with someone this week, but uh, there were years like, especially 2019 where Bruins Leafs was like locked in as a first round matchup, like four months before the playoffs because Tampa was running away the division and they were clearly the two, three. And now this year it's happening with Toronto and Tampa where like Bruins are running away at the division. I would say it's like 98% sure that it's going to be Leafs lightning in the first round. And those teams already know it. And it's one of the reasons why I just, you know, this is a little bit of an aside, but I just hate this playoff format. Like I hate that with, you know, just about four months left in the regular season, two teams know 
pretty much with a good amount of certainty who they're playing in the first round. Like that's kind of lame to me. Um, but nonetheless, that should be a great first round series. And uh, if you're the Bruins, obviously, you, you know, if that's how it plays out, you have to take care of your business first, but you hope those two teams just go to town on each other. It goes seven games and, you know, they're, they're both whoever comes out of it, hopefully pretty beat up by the end. Yeah. And, and, this was the case for those two teams last year, right? Just just split Boston for Florida because Florida ran away with the you yep. know the, the division last year, and, and and Tampa and Toronto knew they were going to be the two two and three matchup. Um, I mean, Boston wasn't too far behind them, but it, again, like like you said, you you know you know who you're facing, and it's just like, well, at, at least the two three matchup, and yeah, I like if nothing else, it, the the one through eight format adds excitement for fans because I remember back when it was the 1-8 format, like you'd be watching the Bruins in the standings, right? And usually they were in the Eastern Conference. Over the last 15 years, the Bruins have usually fallen between like, you know, first or, you know, fifth, I feel like in the, in the, in the East. Like they've never really had like, I don't think they've had like a eight seed playoff run except for like back in like 07 08. So my point is, is like, you're always watching where the Bruins are, but you're, you're paying attention to who that, that counterpart would be. So like, cause like if the Bruins were second place, it's like, there's like four different options for who could be the seventh place team. And it would go down to the wire and you never knew who their matchup was going to be. And it made it exciting as a fan. You'd be like, Oh, we're going to get Philly or you know Pittsburgh or whoever it's, it's now it's like, I guess this year it is kind of like that for the Bruins because they are first in the Atlantic. So that mystery for the Bruins still remains, but you know, for the two threes, it's, it's, it's unfortunate. Um, so was, was there any other, Main takeaways from the game before we get to some some other Bruins news. I know there was some individual efforts, like Pashnak gets his 33rd of the year, uh, so he keeps climbing the, the goal-scoring ranks. Um, was there anything that, that jumped out to you about this game you wanted to go over in particular before we move on to some other? Um, so, at, like, everything that happened at the end of the second period, you know, where uh, really everyone was out on the ice kind of going at each you know, just yelling at each other mostly, but Greer and, and Simmons were at the center of it. Um, I asked Greer, Greer about it after the game and, uh, you know, obviously he wasn't going to say exactly what was being said, but he didn't like, he felt like Simmons kind of took an unnecessary run at Bergeron uh, late in the period. And so, you know, he was kind of going at him for that. He, he wanted to fight him. Simmons had already fought Felino earlier in the game. Uh, but Greer said that, uh, when they were going to the box for the start of the third period, he like kind of looked over at Simmons and he was like, you know, you would have done the, the same thing. Like if someone did that to your guys and he said, Simmons looked at him and was like, yeah, you're right. So, you know, so that was kind of cool where it's like, again, don't know exactly what they were yelling at each other, but um, sort of that, you know, little bit of respect. Like obviously Simmons has been around. He knows, like you mentioned with the fight with Felino, like he, he gets it. He, he knows what his role is at this point. He used to be, you know, legitimate scoring power forward. Now he's, you know, fourth line agitator, tone setter, um, you know, try to keep guys on the other team in line type player. So he gets it. And you could tell like as much as they don't like each other and are, you know, jawing at each other, this is also that kind of mutual respect of like, each one understanding what the other is doing. Yeah, there's no, yeah, it's exactly that. That's a, I also like how um, Greer's a very transparent uh, individual. So you always, you always have to appreciate 
he's willing to because a lot of times, you know, players will say, Yeah, we'll we'll keep that on the ice between between the guys. But you know, he went there and it's it's uh it's good for us to talk about. Uh, and Wayne Simmons, yeah, I mean, I, I, he's only played 10 games this year, last night included, so he's not he hasn't been a regular. Um, so you knew when he stepped into the, into the lineup last night, it was for a reason, uh, and and he went out there and he did his thing. Um, so yeah, it's it's just it's just you know, a pros guy, you know, going out there doing his job. I don't think there was too many hard feelings. Obviously, if Bergeron gets hurt on a certain play, it's then yeah, it changes things, but um, didn't turn out to be that way. Um, but yeah, so. Scott, I did want to. Uh, I wanted to ask you: Were you surprised by? I guess I don't. And I don't know how much you heard or listened to, but were you surprised by after the Seattle game how it seemed like NHL media, Canadian media, kind of took that and ran with it as a, as kind of like this is the blueprint to beat the Bruins. Like it's like really the, the, you, you lose one game and that's the blueprint. I mean, yeah. what's, the better question is, what's the blueprint to beat the Bruins when the Bruins are on their game, not when they throw up a dud? Right. Like, So I feel like I, I when I wrote my story Thursday night, I hadn't really seen much of that. I think it kind of began more the next day. But it was almost like I somehow anticipated it coming because uh, I ended my story with, like, basically asking the question, like, did the Kraken provide a blueprint? And my conclusion was, well, sure, it, you know, if you catch the Bruins on an off night, if you're one of the two or three teams that is even remotely as deep as them, and if you get a great goaltending performance, like, okay, there's your blueprint. But yeah. yeah, to your point, like, step one in that blueprint was catch the Bruins on an off night. So, uh, yeah. you know, good luck with that. They haven't had many of them this year. Um, but, yeah, that is kind of silly. Like, look, I think obviously any team that's going to beat them is going to have to be really good at five on five. Um, you know, the Bruins have the number one penalty kill in the NHL and the number three power play. I don't think anyone's going to be able to rely on winning special teams battles. Obviously, you know, special teams within any one game can always be crazy and go any direction. But like over the course of a series, you would expect the team that has been better on special teams all year to ultimately have the edge. So I do think, you know, if someone's going to beat them four times in seven games, they're going to have to be able to compete at five on five and Seattle and Toronto are two teams that can do that. So, you know, one gets the better of the Bruins in Seattle. Uh, the other Bruins get the better of Toronto, you know, outscored them four to at even strength. Uh, one of Toronto's goals was a power play goal. So, um. Yeah, I don't think like it. It was a weird storyline. Seattle, I don't think offered anything, um, groundbreaking in terms of like, oh my god, look at this, they figured it out. Like, no, Seattle's just a really good, really deep team that has been on fire. By the way, like you know, had won six in a row going into that. Um, Martin Jones has been playing some. You know, been on one of the hottest streaks of his career. Obviously, uh, you know, most of his career he's been average at best goalie, kind of just middle of the pack. Um, he's been hot recently, and he was really good in that game. But no, I don't. You know, I don't. I don't think it offered like anything beyond you have to be that good and you have to catch them on an off night. And there aren't many teams that are that good, and the Bruins don't have many off nights. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, that's that's a great way to sum it up. I mean, yeah, I mean, Seattle was on a uh, a very impressive um, road trip that included thumping Toronto. Um, so, look, Seattle's building something really cool over there, and I think, look, I, I think the, if you look at the the ways in which the Bruins have bowed out in the playoffs in recent years, and to the teams they've lost to, right? You look at the Islanders, you look at you know, St. Louis and Tampa and, and Carolina. Um, yeah, you know, the Bruins weren't as deep in any of those runs as they are right now. So let's just put that as, on, aside for a second. But I don't think it's a, it's not even necessarily a, a Bruins kryptonite. I think this is the recipe to beating any team, really. Uh, I don't think the Bruins are any different uh, from that. They're not special in that sense. Like, you mentioned five-on-five five scoring. Like, all those teams that have beat Boston in the past, like, the one thing they did really well was they're they're a very a very good checking team, very tight checking. Uh, they back check their back pressure was great, their four check pressure was great, and and that's what you saw a lot of Seattle doing. Like their 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 forwards were relentless in all three zones. Like they, there was no there was no letdown, there was no give up. You know the puck goes the other way, they they stop and they start and they're back checking. Um, so yeah. You got to be really, really tight checking team. That that's obvious, but I don't think that's not that's not a Bruins specific thing. That's a recipe to beat anybody. So, um, and when the Bruins are playing their game, you can be tight checking. And I still think the Bruins because that's how they play too. You know, it's not really a huge advantage. It's just kind of how to play another strong team. But Seattle was impressive. Um, Maddie Beniers is having a great year for them. A local tie, and I, I know he had a, a chance to play in front of family and friends. But leading, I think he's leading rookies in scoring. Um, was is 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 it uh, is it Hextall? Is is that the coach over there in Seattle? Hextall, yeah, Dave Hextall. Dave Hextall, yeah, he was formerly in Philadelphia, and that that didn't go too hot. So I'm starting to think it's a Philadelphia problem. But um, no, Seattle was impressive. I was happy for that win for them. Um, and, and my takeaway from that game was uh, they were the better team over 60, and they they earned that win. So I had no issue with it. Little thump for the Bruins, little piece of humble pie, and uh, they, they 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 geared up and. They brought it uh, last night against Toronto. So it's a good reminder for the Bruins. Um, but, yeah, it was just interesting to see that storyline kind of take off. It's like the team loses once, and it's like, oh, this is how you beat the big bad giant. It's yeah. like, come on. You know who I think Seattle could remind me of come playoffs? Can I guess? Um, is, like, Carolina in the several years kind of building up to now yeah. where I look at that Seattle team, and it's like, even though Martin Jones has been great recently and was on Thursday night, I still feel like goaltending could be their downfall. Um, like I said, Jones basically like middle of the road goalie for his career. Philip Grubauer has really struggled in Seattle. Um, and I still feel like that team lacks true high in town. They're, they're deep, but like, do they really have game breakers? I think Matty Beniers is on his way to becoming one, but expecting him to be that as a rookie in, in the playoffs might might be a little ambitious. He might not quite be ready for that. Um, so like I could see them, you know, I could see them going out in 
I could see them winning of the first round and going on the second to Vegas. Um, and this, you know, sort of being a real kind of growing moment for them, which look, if in year, given how bad year one for them went, if year two means, uh, getting to the second round and giving Vegas a good run at it. Like, Hey, that's, that's a really good year too. So, um, but that, as I was just kind of like looking over their roster, that's sort of what came to mind was like some of those Carolina teams where goaltending was a question mark and they were deep, they played the right way, but didn't quite have like that game breaking high end offensive talent. Yeah. Kind of, kind of similar to, those early Vegas teams before they people around the league realized they were good. So then they started to attract some, you know, free agents and whatnot. It was, but yeah, I think actually Carolina's a, a better comp actually because Carolina to this day, I mean, you know, you add Pacioretty, you add Brent Burns, um, you have homegrown talent and stretching the cough and I hope, but like they still kind of lack that, that big guy, that, that big star, but they remain to be one of the better teams. So I think that's a good, that's a good comparison. Um, yeah. So We'll see how it plays out. I think Seattle's. Uh, it's just you know if you're if you're out in if you're a fan of like the Oilers and, and the Flames and it's like you're sitting there and, and you, you did not have missing the playoffs because of you know Seattle uh, on your bingo card and uh, I mean you have I mean whatever we're not we're not Oilers fans but it's just kind of like they, they they come out of nowhere again because last year they sucked right like last year they were exactly the epitome of of a, of a uh, expansion team. Yeah. Um, they had they had a couple injuries to some 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 heartbeat players like I think y- Yanni Gord was out for a while last year and I think Tanev missed time and like those guys they're not going to make any All Star games but but they worked their asses off and they set the tempo for that team so um, yeah good for Seattle uh, so I was yeah. gonna say like it's if you, if you're Connor McDavid it's like your career is the NHL keeps adding these expansion teams yeah. to your division <laughs> and. Within two years, they're better than than what your team's able to build. It's just like, what the fuck? What the hell's going on here? That is so true. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, man. I, I mean, don't get me wrong. Edmonton's a you know they're a storied franchise. Uh, I mean, but and obviously went went on a good run last year. But yeah, well, he we're still a, we're still flawed even run. as they did that. He went on a good run last year. That yeah. team sucked outside of him and Drysaddle, and they still do. I mean, I, I'm I'm adamant like. Look, if you take away any team's top two players, like, okay, yeah, it's easy to say, like, they're probably not, like, obviously very good, right? But if you were to take away whatever, pick pick two players from Boston, Bergeron, McAvoy, Pashnak, Martian, whatever. Okay, well, Mar- Martian and McAvoy out to start the well, season. And that's, a, that's exactly my point, right? So, yeah, so look at the Bruins earlier this year, right? They're still – they still were 15-1-1. Now, obviously – that was remarkable, but like if you take away Drysaddle and McDavid from Edmonton, I, I like they're they're a lottery team. They suck. They, they might not guys, win ten games in, in an eighty-two game season. It's like though, God forbid, one of those guys gets an injury, right? Which would be awful for the game because we want to see them play. But like, my God, I mean, how how many years have they had to to surround those guys with some actual pieces? And yeah, here and there they add somebody, but it's like. You, they, they have the same core there. Like they've won three cups. It's like, I'm talking about like around them, right? Like Nugent Hopkins, they've never considered moving for somebody or whatever. I don't know. We'll, we'll see it. We'll see if those guys stick around when their terms, are, when their, their deals are done. I think they're locked in for a while though. So um, one player, the Bruins did lock up Scott. 
which was, I think it was right after the game, right? Or was it mid-game? Yeah, they they sent out the press release while we were talking to Jim Montgomery after the game. So Strange timing on that one. Yeah. Dropped in the um, whatever, but. Uh, I guess, so yeah, so they the Bruins they, they extended Zaka for what four years at four and a half is that what it was four point seven five per year. Okay. okay, so so what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I think it's a good deal. I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, obviously, I think he's been everything they hoped they were getting when they acquired him for for Eric Halla. Um, you know, and eventually they agree he was obviously a restricted free agent at the time. They agreed to a one-year deal, which was going to, you know, it was basically like a, all right, let's get him in, see how he fits, he can prove himself. I think they've continued to talk the whole time. I think there's always been interest from both sides in getting something longer-term done, and now it does. And I think from both sides, like, Zach is comfortable here. He, you know, was already working out here in the summer, um, knew a bunch of the Bruins from those workouts uh, and has been a good fit on this team. Uh, from the Bruins perspective, they now have seen up close how he plays and how he plays with this team, you know, not just looking at him in New Jersey and how he did there with, you know, a young team that really, you know, not until this year, like really played the right way. Um, but he's been good. You know, he, Leads the team in five on five assists. He's third and five on five points on the team. Uh, yeah, you would like to see some more goal scoring. He has just five so far. Uh, seems just very snakebitten. Obviously, missed a pretty much entirely empty net off a rebound chance Saturday night. Um, hit the outside of the post. But I do think that'll come at like I do think he has a good shot. He's I think he's like I said been a bit snake bin and I feel like maybe that's in his head a little bit. Um, but I think that's going to come. His shooting percentage is way below his career average this season. So you, you would expect that to even off at some point. And if you start to add just some goals, just a few more than what he has now to the all around game that he plays, which I think he's, I think he's a very smart player. Um, you know, I asked Bergeron about him and about the extension uh, Saturday night and you know and that like that's the part of his game that Bergeron highlighted was all his details and you know all his two-way play the way he's always in the right spot both offensively and defensively um, obviously all things that we know Bergeron appreciates and takes a lot of pride in himself so I think he he sees some of that in Zaka and you know I'm not sitting here saying Zaka is going to be the next Bergeron I, I don't think he is but he plays that way. And that's obviously the way that the Bruins want to play. And if you're looking down the line at, um, you know, how he potentially factors into the future center plans, they definitely require that from their centers. Absolutely. And, you know, 25 points in 42 games, you consider the fact that, like you said, he's been snake bitten and he hasn't been in, uh, I guess a consistent top six role. It's been kind of, you know, here and there throughout the year. Uh, you would imagine that, that that point total could be a little bit more, right? If, if certain things fell different ways. Um, and I, I, I have no, I actually like the deal a lot. I think he's a, I think he's a really, really good player, really sound, smart player. Good to have on a team that was 20, he's 25 or 26. So, um, you know, 
it's interesting that they that they do it now as opposed to uh, waiting until the off season, right? When his contract were to were to expire. But part of me wonders if this is Don Sweeney trying to paint a, a, a more clear narrative um, for you know somebody like David Pashnak, who they're still trying to work out a contract with, and it's like you know it. it we talked about this in the past, but if you're, if you're passionate, you're kind of like, um, I don't know what people are thinking. You're talking about Zaka's contract, but it, it took Brian two seconds to switch it to passionate. But, but um, what, where I'm going with this is like, it's more of a team wide outlook. So if you're passionate earlier in the year, uh, you're like, your concern is, well, where, where are the, where are the Bruins going to be at, at center when, when a couple of key guys go, right? We talked about that at length, but, and the answer was like, we have no idea. But now you sign Zaka, you've extended it for four years. And if Krejci were to retire tomorrow, like you could you could put Zaka in his spot. And and, and he's he's stepped in for Krejci this year when Krejci's been out in his spot. And that line hasn't missed a beat. And that's not to take anything away from Krejci, but Zaka is like, like you mentioned, he's he's a much more uh, equipped player than someone like Eric Halla, just because of the way he plays and his youth and size. So, okay, looking looking further ahead, like, Zaka could absolutely be uh, a number two center on a, on a competing playoff team. I have no doubts about that in my mind. Now, if they were to go out at the deadline and and, and add, and I don't, I'm not going to get too much into it because there's going to be plenty of time to talk about the trade deadline, but I'll just keep it at this. Bo Horvat's name has been mentioned, right? Like the Bruins might be interested in board. This is nothing uh, confirmed. This is like fan speculation. Like, would you be interested in somebody like Bo Horvat and extending him? How you get him, that, that's a podcast for a later date. But, like, if you were to get somebody like Bo Horvat, he's 27 years old, uh, and you could extend him. Like, now the Bruins, they're starting to plug and play this centerized position if they were to do that. But you lock up Zaka, that's step one. I mean, right now you have a you have a number two center going forward, I think. Yeah, definitely. Like you said, I think the showcases or, like, almost tryouts that Zaka has got earlier this year when – um, when Krejci missed a little bit of time due to injury, uh, were, were pretty impressive. In fact, you know, at that point, because I think Krejci is playing better now, I think, you know, got off to a little bit of a slow start this year. At times, like, it, it honestly looked better with Zaka there, um, and the results bore that out. Now, I wouldn't say that now. Like I said, I think Krejci's game is rounded into form, and you're, you know, seeing him be a legitimate number two center for the most part, still some quiet games here and there, um, but looking better than he did early on. But yeah, I think that was pretty telling. And and look, it was between, it was him centering Hall and Pasternak, but it's like, Hey, that might be the, you know, that might be a line going forward. Like that's, you know, Martian still has a few more years. DeBrusque is obviously still around. So your top six wingers are locked in for a bit. So Zaka absolutely could end up, no matter what, if he's in that number two center spot, he's going to have good wingers. Um, and I think, you know, to your point about Pasternak, like, one, I, I think he, he likes Zaka. They had played together um, internationally growing up, I think, on, like, U18s or, or maybe even World Juniors. But, um, you know, obviously both from Czechia, like, a little bit of a connection there. So I think that might that might help. Like, like you said, like Paz not going to at least look now and be like, okay, that's one of the top two centers. That's, you know, 
that's one guy I can potentially play with. Um, and then, yeah, obviously you still have to figure out the number one center because they don't, even though I think Zaka still has some upside and room to grow, I don't think he's ever going to be a legitimate number one center, uh, you know, at least on like a cup contending team. I think that'd be a big ask, but number two center. Yeah. I think he can fit there. And if you have that guy at 4.75, that's, it's a pretty good number for a number two center. Now, you know, yes, you have to have him like, he's not, he's not like a, maybe like a John Tavares caliber number two center. I don't see him being that, but you're going to have him surrounded with really good wings. So he doesn't need to be that. Um, so I think that's crucial, and that, like like you said, I just think it it helps paint to clear a picture going forward. And you know, I mentioned this last podcast, but like, there's no guarantee that you know one one of Bergeron and Krejci isn't back next year. Like, right. you know, it's not it's not locked in that they're both retiring. Um, in particular, you look at the level that Bergeron's playing at; it's obviously he definitely could continue to do it. It's just whether or not he wants to. So, um, you know, even if it's one of them retires and I, I'd say, you know, just gut feeling is crazy. would probably be the more likely one to retire, but uh, you would feel really good about that team. If you went into next season with a top six of however you want to line it up, Marshan Bergeron, DeBrusque, Hall, Zaka, Pasternak. Yeah. And that, and that's, that's if they don't, somehow land some sort of fish at the deadline that they actually find a way to extend, right? More than a rental. But, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, obviously, the possibility is there that Bergeron comes back. And uh, short of winning a Stanley Cup, I mean, like like you said, I kind of think he, he would. But you never know. And and Krejci, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, I, my, I feel the same way. I think I think regardless, this could be it for Krejci. Um, and I think that's why they did this, one of the reasons why they did this. So it's a good signing. Uh, why put off till tomorrow what you can do today? And, um, you know, the, the Bruins, the front office has some decisions to make this offseason. There's some guys that – there's a lot of guys that I feel like that their their deals are coming to an end, whether they're RFAs or UFAs. Um, obviously, we've talked about the, the main one in, in Pasternak, but there's, others, there's other guys, too, that help fill up this roster that they have to decide on. So if they can do that, you know, along the way here and there, um, makes their life a little bit more easy come come summertime. But – uh, for now, Zaka is is in Boston to stay for for four years. Scott, we are forty minutes in. Was there anything you wanted to discuss league wide Bruins related? Uh, they have a quick turnaround tomorrow, um, Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and it's the one o'clock matinee against the Flyers. Um, John Tortorella actually has the Flyers playing pretty well right now. Uh, and then beyond that, they play the uh, Islanders and the Rangers, I believe, out in uh, New York. So um, the week the week keeps going on for the Bruins here. Yeah, and by the way, Monday will be David Krejci's 1,000th career game. Uh, so, you know, milestone day. Um, I believe he will be the seventh Bruin in team history to play 1,000 games with the team. So, uh, you know, pretty elite company there. And obviously, a, you know, pretty special accomplishment for him. I liked Marshan's comment. Didn't, didn't he make some jokes last <laughs> yeah. night? Do something, something like, I feel like, didn't he do that like, what, five years ago or something? Or what, what yeah, I think he said 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, the oldest guy to ever hit a thousand games, he said. Yeah, something. that reminded me of uh, 
at the at the Winter Classic when they were wearing throwback Red Sox uniforms, Felino made a comment. He was like, "I told I told Bergie and Kretsch these are the uniforms that the Red Sox wore when they started in Boston." <laughs> yeah, these these guys. Yeah, Krejci Krejci also made fun of Bergeron too when they when they debuted the uh, Winter Classic jersey itself like a, a month or two ago, and he was like. Uh, like oh that's that's Berkey's first jersey when he when he debuted. <laughs> so these guys these guys are uh, they're obviously it just shows how close they are. I mean they're making fun of each other uh, like brothers do. Um, Did you see the uh, the behind the B clip of Kretchy's goal in Anaheim last week? Belly. Um, <laughs> yeah. So he scored. You know. So it's like the pass from Pasenak down low and Kretchy just kind of quick snapshot finish top shelf. Um, you know, really nice finish and. He gets back to the bench, and Montgomery said something along the lines of, like, I didn't know you had that shot, and or you could do that or whatever. And Krejci goes, I can do anything. Yeah. And then Chris Kelly's like, yeah, except smile. Yeah. <laughs> I mean. Which, uh, which is great coming from Chris Kelly, who also oh, yeah. never smiles. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But, look, I mean, that's that's another thing, too, like how close this team is. I mean. You forget. It's like, yeah, the locker room, the players themselves are incredibly close. But when you're talking about a team whose assistant coach won a Stanley Cup with players that are still on the bench, like just the entire unit between the coaching staff and the players is very cohesive. And, you know, obviously Chris Kelly was there last year too, but um, it's just, it's always, it's always a mind F to me. Like, uh, like to see Chris Kelly on the bench because like I I have very vivid memories like it was yesterday of like him scoring against Montreal and like being you know being a really good third line player on a team where Martian and Bergeron were above him in the depth chart. It's I always find that interesting. Like when you have it's not often right, but you have a player who is a third line player is now coaching like the first line players that were there when he was like it's just kind of a funny dynamic. But also like I saw a video of of, um, of the Winter Classic and I saw like a video of like Tuka Rask and. And uh, Adam McQuaid going up to you know the, the spectator area, and they were they were dressed to the nines like they were going to work, and it's just like I don't know what Tuka's necessarily doing. I don't know if he's helping with Bob Asenza or anything behind the scenes, or if he's just chilling. But Adam McQuaid obviously works for the Bruins. I think he's in player development. So yeah. you know this Bruin. When people talk about the Bruins culture, it's just like yeah, it's on the ice, but you have winning guys all around the team. Um, which is very imperative and you kind of see it, see it night in, night out. So, um, and obviously Jim Montgomery is a, you know, he's been a welcome addition. He's, he's pretty funny too. I know we, we've joked a lot about him in the past with the dragons and the numbers, and but he, he's a funny guy. Um, so I'm, I'm glad to see him, him, him doing well. Um, it's a great, great story for him to turn around, turn his career around too. So um, yeah. But if there's anything else, Scott, I, I'm all set. I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to cover. No, I think I'm all set. Okay, so like I mentioned, the Bruins play the Flyers 1 o'clock tomorrow, um, Monday at the Garden. And do we plan on recording after that, Scott? Or, or Yeah, I think we'll probably record Monday night, so t- Tuesday morning should be in everyone's feed. Okay, and then we'll talk about the uh, Islanders and Rangers game. Those are going to be two tough games too, so um, a lot of Bruins action this week, and uh, we'll be here to talk about it. So thank you guys for listening, and we'll talk soon.